Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, um, we're at uh, class 8 of our 12-class structured study of the Eightfold Path. Um, and again, I think you'll notice the progression, how one sutta leads to the next. Uh, David uh, taught an uh, excellent, very skillful class on the Simsapa Sutta, uh, the handful of leaves, which, which describes the limiting aspect of the Eightfold Path. It, it, it's designed to keep us focused on what is important and to recognize what is related to the Dhamma and what isn't, and what is not related to the Dhamma, we abandon as part of the Dhamma practice. Um, and so during the Buddha's time, just like our time, the Buddha noticed that even those that he was teaching, that were sitting right in front of him and practicing every day, still had a tendency to grasp after salvation and the maintenance of fabricated views in uh, rather conventional ways, meaning in salvific types of religion or salvific ideas, or a salvific idea is any idea that there's something wrong or lacking in me and I need something to fix that, whatever that might be. Sometimes it's the establishment in some type of non-physical plane, usually that is, uh, heaven, if you will, or a future life when I've uh, somehow develop some understanding that bears fruit in a future life. Uh, but even a notion that in this moment I need to be something other than I am, or practicing, when I'm a Dhamma practitioner, or practicing something more than I am, uh, is a fabrication, and it's, and it's limited by the Eightfold Path. Uh, but a human mind, because it's rooted in greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, Wants, uh, wants an unlimited existence. It wants to be able to grasp after anything and everything that crosses its path. It wants to make everything mine. And again, that's what the Buddha recognized as the primary cause of dukkha, is personalizing uh, experiences. And so the Simsapa Sutta teaches us to not go there. <coughs> this uh, little sutta, it's not really a sutta, it's a section, it's a poem from uh, the Theragatha, which preserves 77, something like that, uh, poems of the ancient nuns. And there's the, 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 the monk book uh, has about 260-something. Uh, and they're all short like this, but they get right to the point. So in this sutta, uh, Mithakali, a nun in the original Sangha, describes her life before coming to the Dhamma and how this simple and effective and straightforward Dhamma completely changed her life and her view of herself in relation to the world. It's an it's a incredibly powerful little poem with so much in it that makes sense to us, those of us that, that have a, 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 an understanding of the background of the Dhamma that's rooted in dependent origination and four noble truths, know how to apply this. So let me get to it. Uh, right off the bat, the first line uh, has so much into it, in it. Uh, going forth with conviction from home to homelessness. So Mithakali is describing her life leaving uh, the world behind. Going forth is what that means. And it literally means leaving 
leaving my entanglements in the world behind and going forth into the Dhamma, into another way of living. And you can do that formally. During the Buddhist time, they might have joined the original Sangha. But many people during the Buddhist time and many of us during our time do not become monks or nuns, but we still practice the Dhamma. And so how can we leave home while still staying home? How can we achieve homelessness while still maintaining a home for ourselves and our family? We do it with seclusion, through the seclusion established in jhana meditation. And Mithakali describes that right here. And the reason why I'm saying that is that the Buddha never taught a special Dhamma for monks and nuns and then a different one for those of us um, that didn't take vows and didn't join uh, a, a monastery. And that, even that contradicted um, all of the spiritual, religious, philosophical disciplines of the Buddha's time. Uh, they all required a, a kind of um, allegiance to an idea rather than the development of understanding, whatever that idea might be, manifested as uh, a hierarchical religion or even a hierarchical philosophical um, discipline, meaning you, you would achieve some type of advanced or secret knowledge if you did this long enough and had the right teachers. The Buddha never taught any of that stuff. He, 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 stuff. he taught to practice this Dhamma and gain an understanding of what it means to be a human being. And by so doing, you achieve a conflict-free, calm mind. Going forth with conviction from home to homelessness. I'm determined to do this with conviction. Mithakali then says, I wandered here and there, always craving for recognition and material gain, always engaged in eye-making, her entire life wandering here and there, always seeking to establish herself, me, uh, me in the world, always seeking recognition and material gain. Then she says, chasing an ordinary goal, recognition and material gain, I missed the highest pursuit. Think about that line in relation to what we understand now and how, how sad that line is. I missed the highest goal. She's describing living a life and missing what was most important in life. She gained some recognition. She gained some material wealth, but she missed the highest goal. It's a waste of a life, isn't it? Driven by greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, I remained in ignorance, asleep. Again, not aware of her own life, not aware of her own existence. And that doesn't mean she, again, she, she, wasn't, she was living a life, but it was like a life lived asleep. The Buddha would say, like a living death, a life rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. Then she says, sitting in a quiet space, engaged in jhana meditation, and again, she's learned from the Buddha, the Eightfold Path, I suddenly came to my senses, she says, the path I am on is a miserable path. My path is founded, my path is founded on craving and desire. Now, aging and illness are my constant companion. What does that mean? Why is that so significant? Why did the Buddha teach dukkha in this way? Birth is dukkha. Sickness is dukkha. Aging is dukkha. Death is dukkha. Why has it become dukkha? It's a rhetorical question that I'll answer myself. <laughs> Because when we're stuck in eye-making, anytime I'm sick, anytime I recognize aging, or any thought of death, it has to be taken personal. 
because my whole existence is about establishing me in this moment. And when sickness takes away from this moment, I hurt. I might even scream. I might even talk about the unfairness of all this. And when I start feeling the, the effects of aging, I get even worse and adamant about how unfair this life is. I have so much to live in so little time. And then I drive by the mortuary and I realize, wow, it's coming quick. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I don't have enough. Not enough people know me. Or I can take understanding. At any point in that, in that continuum from birth to death, and I can gain understanding of what it means to have a human life. And I can stop taking sickness, aging, and death personally. I can stop getting upset when I don't get what I want, and I can stop getting upset when I receive what I don't want. In short, I can understand that I've been dragging five clinging aggregates around my whole life, and I can let them go. The path I am on is a miserable path, seeking recognition and material gain. My path is founded on craving, on desire. Now, aging and illness are my constant companion. They're her companion because she doesn't want them. And so she's attached to them. She's taken a normal human life and taking it very personally. Death is inevitable and I have no time left for mindlessness. She's realizing what Bahia learned too. This is the most important moment because now is the moment that I can awaken. I have no time left for this type of mindlessness. Then she says, seeing clearly impermanence and the arising and passing away of the five clinging aggregates, seeing it clearly, understanding the cause and the nature of her own continuing suffering, the five clinging aggregates, what the Buddha teaches as the personalization of suffering. And by the way, our next structured study is going to be on the five clinging aggregates. I arise as if from a deep slumber. My mind released. The awakened one's eightfold path is complete. That's today's sutta. So there's not much left for ambiguity in this one, is there? Uh, straightforward. Yeah. And if we want to understand and abandon the cause of our own distress, we'll stop chasing self-recognition, material gain. It doesn't mean that we don't get recognized in the world. We'll st- we're still recognizing a man that abandoned self-recognition 2,600 years later. In fact, we're recognizing him 2,600 years later because he abandoned self-recognition and material gain. He proves the point of how useless it is. What, a, what a, a fool's parade it is to live a life like that. And yet we all do it. And yet, you know, and again, excuse me for relating it to, to current events. In millions and millions of years of human history, we haven't learned this one single lesson to stop taking it personally. And so I'm not talking about the whole world needs to do it. Because the whole world won't do it. But I can do it. I can abandon self-recognition and material gain in this moment. And develop a conflict-free mind. How? Through simply understanding what it means to be a human being. And somehow, understanding what it is to be me, allows me to not be me anymore. To stop carrying the burden 
of self-reference in each and every moment. It's true liberation. It's almost a cruel joke when you realize what the Buddha is teaching. That the cause of all of my distress is not out there. It's not from a crazy man bombing another crazy man's country. It's not from not having this or having that. It's from not understanding. It's from wanting me in this moment to be different than I am. And that was the cause of all of my distress. And it's the cause of all of your distress. And it's the one thing that we have control over. How I think about myself in relation to the world. The three marks of existence. Do I understand that this thing called the five clinging aggregates, how I, what I use, the vehicle I use to describe my life, is completely and utterly impermanent? And it's not impermanent when I wake up. It's impermanent all through life. Except I drag this thing, this permanent self, from one moment to the next moment trying to establish permanence. And I can't. And then I realized that thing that I was trying to establish impermanence in an impermanent environment, an environment that can't support it, is itself a fabrication. As the Buddha says, that whole idea of self is like foam on the water. Poof, it's gone. And then the next moment it arises again. Or it doesn't. Because if I do what Mittakali realized in this moment, I let go of eye-making, then the next moment isn't filled with eye-making. It's filled with understanding. It's filled with peace. It's filled with calm. There's no conflict left. Now, imagine what the world would be like if we all did that. You can't, can you? Because it can't be done. And that's not the point. The point isn't that I'll do it and everybody else will do it and we'll all be saved. That denies the first noble truth. And the reason I'm making this point is the same reason Mittakali made this point in the sutta. I'm not awakening so that I can serve the whole world, so that I can drag the whole world with me. That's the Bodhisattva vow. Remember the the Buddha taught it that. He said, when I was an unawakened bodhisattva, bodhisattva is a human being imbued with human compassion. Most human beings, unless you're truly psychotic, and true psychosis is rare, very rare, you want other people to be happy. You want to help other people. It's, it's part of our being. Yet most of us are very poor at actually serving humanity in that way. Why? Because we're lacking the wisdom of who we truly are. <clears throat> and in that way, we had a great discussion on this, by the way, in Thursday's class. Um, in that way, we are examples of a conflict-free mind, just as Siddhartha Gautama was. Just why he is still remembered today, why he's still recognized. Because he figured out how to do it. And he also figured out how to teach others to do it. And we're doing it. That's today's talk. John? Yes, David. And if he hadn't decided to teach, no one would have known, but he still would have been awakened. Yeah. And if Jen is awakened, no one would notice unless you said something, which you wouldn't. Yeah. So it's fortunate that he decided to teach. Yeah. Thank you so much for bringing that up. And it brings up another important point. The Buddha didn't awaken 
realize he had this giant cash cow and start running around northern India and southern Nepal trying to make a living for himself. In fact, he thought hard for about two weeks if there was any way to teach this, knowing what he knew about the power, the strength of minds rooted in ignorance. And he wondered, how am I going to pierce that veil of ignorance? How can I get other people to recognize it in themselves? And that's when he developed an Eightfold Path. That's when the Eightfold Path coalesced in his mind. Remember that the Nagara Sutta, forget that, where the Buddha describes this process of being stuck in this, in this mind that, 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 was, that was always reverberating against its own views. And he realized this Eightfold Path. And in thinking, how can I teach this to, together to, to others, it coalesced as this simple way. Sit down, concentrate your mind through mindfulness of the breath, and then look at yourself this way through these other seven factors from a, a, a mind well-concentrated. Look at your speech, look at your actions, look at your livelihood, because that's where your mindfulness will manifest. It always does. That's why most of us, when we take to the Dhamma, we recognize we recognize wrong speech leading to right speech because whatever we're holding in mind is always going to come out of our mouth and in our actions. And it's also a good way to find out what your karma is. Just notice what you're saying because that's your karma. And Mithakali brought it all the way back. She concentrated her mind. She framed her thinking and her life by the Eightfold Path and liberated herself from what? From her own ignorant views. So we're not liberating ourselves from a screwed up world. Whether the world is screwed up or not is of no consequence to a Dhamma practitioner because we're not saviors. But like Siddhartha Gautama did 2,600 years ago, we can show others how to develop a calm and peaceful mind. Whether we're teachers or just examples of it. Ram talks about, if I can pick on you for a little bit, about he, he doesn't engage in the argument anymore. He just, and David was kind of all talking about that. We sit quietly because we're not entangled in it. Some people might even take that as being aloof. What is the word that you said? You're, you're, My son said, Dad's checked out. Dad's checked out. <laughs> we may appear checked out in many ways. I, I appear checked out in many ways. Not just because I'm quiet. People wonder, what's going on with it? I used to get years ago... Why are you always smiling? I said, I can't think of any good reason to frown. And it was really true. You know? But that was even kind of before I really understood the Dhamma. I couldn't find a good reason to just be miserable because I didn't want to be miserable. And now I understand it. Why? You know, the life, the world is in a really crazy place right now, isn't it? But I don't have to be in conflict over it. And again, there's strategies that I employ to not be in conflict over it. I don't watch 24-7 news. I never, ever, you know, just me, I never, ever go on Facebook, Twitter, or any of the rest of them. I don't even know the other ones that are out there. Why? Because that, that's where the world maintains insanity. And I don't want to. I don't want to even expose myself to that. You're not into TikTok challenges? <laughs> I don't, again, I'm, I'm glad to say I, don't, I honestly don't know what a TikTok challenge is. I don't either. It's a good thing. And I may have oh, to go TikTok try to find challenge. out just because I'm a curious type. Oh, don't do it. <laughs> but, Slap again, a teacher. You know, <clears throat> the, 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 the people that have made, most of the people, let me see. 
Many of the people who have made the most money recently, new money, are people who figured out how to distract us the most. And we keep throwing money after them. I mean, billions of dollars. And what have they done? They figured out a way to steal our minds. And we love it. Did, how come that? Why? Never ask why. Why doesn't people think about that? Why are we so in, impressed with distraction? We've been doing it our whole lives. We insist on distraction. Whether it's going to the opera, you know, I'm, I'm talking about some art. And I'm not, I'm not, art has brought great meaning to people. I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in artistic pursuits, but it's the same kind of thing of always needing some type of entertainment. Sometimes it's highbrow entertainment. Sometimes it's, you know, hanging around a gin mill. But anything that distract myself from the fact that I'm not recognized enough in this moment. I don't have enough. And we can also look at people that have more than they can ever want, and it's still not enough. They still need to take another country or something else. <clears throat> or we can just be at peace with who and what we are, a six-property person, and live peacefully in the world. And we can all do it. Right, Jeff? There you are. Yeah, this is a, this is a beautifully simple suit, but it's so profound. Yeah. And, uh, there's not much I could add to it, certainly at this point. So uh, I remain silent. Thank you. Thank you for what you're adding. Hello, Brian. Hello, John. Um, yeah, this one is just deeply, deeply relatable. Um, and just you know, on a personal journey perspective, it just resonates so deeply. Yeah. And and just recognizing that, that I think the Buddha said that the decay is relentless, right? Like I just yeah. just feel it, right? Like all of this is inevitable and it's coming and the 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 reduction of the attachment to it is the the way out of it, so to speak. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Hello, Mary. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. I guess I feel the same way, that um, it is very profound, um, worth keeping nearby to review frequently. Um, and, uh, you know, just really reminding yourself to incorporate it into your life. Um, it sounds very simple, and on many levels it is, because we are all doing this on some level or another. Um and so we just need to keep at it. So thank you for the suit of Thank you for that, uh, that, your wisdom. We just have to keep at it. And it really is that simple. You know, just keep on the path. Hello, Tom. Future teacher, Tom. Yeah, hello, everyone. Um, yeah, I really love this sutta, this poem. Um, it's, it's, I mean, I'll just second everything that's already been said, but it really... It was just it was just a short, concise reminder that I needed um, mm. this afternoon. So, so uh, thanks for that. I just had a, a very quick question, which was um, on the um, so Mita Kali. I think that's her name, Mita Kali. Mm. Um, when she says, um, so she has this realization. So she has the real. She comes to her senses, 
path I'm on is a miserable path. And then it says just a few lines down, um, now aging and, and illness are my constant companion. Is that sort of her um, sort of <coughs> reflecting? Is she, is she sort of later in life and now she's looking back on her life and thinking, well, up until now in my life, I was, I was, my path was founded on craving and desire. And now, having pursued all of those things, now I'm just left with, you know, as she gets older, um, aging and, 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 and illness, and she doesn't even, even have the sort of the energy to pursue those um, those things that she was pursuing before. And is that is that the idea there? Or yeah. Just, it, just, just... And it, it's, it's <laughs> just like that. And it's also a little bit more uh, subtle that, what what Mithakali is saying, and what we're all saying now, twenty six hundred years later, is it is this the self identification with this form. Remember the form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, and consciousness are the five aggregates. By identifying with a form that is subject to sickness, aging, and death, now I am subject to sickness, aging, and death. By not self identifying with this, by not taking it personal, it it's not a problem. It's just a natural. I mean. You know, you should see me get out of bed in the morning. You want to see true, true suffering. But it's no, it, it's it's it, it's part of life. It's it it, it it we don't take it personal. Mithakali understood that. That's what she's saying there. It, it, now that I'm past that, aging and death are no longer a distraction for her. It's no longer a stressor for her. It's just part of who she is. And so now she's living the rest of her life in that in a body and mind that is still subject to aging and death, but no longer distracted by it or taking it personal. And that, that is also liberation, isn't it, Tom? You know, we can get to that point. Yeah. Jeff. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you may, Tom. I suggest, may I suggest that it's all very abstract until it's you aging, <laughs> suffering and coming close to death. Yeah, it, it is, um, but we can all experience that. We all, no matter what we are, you know, whatever, whatever point we are, we could be 25 and young and healthy, um, but we're still distracted by what we're becoming. Um, it, 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 we get caught up in those kind of, I remember thinking about uh, looking at my grandfather sitting at the kitchen table at my age thinking, holy, geez, I never want to get like that. And now I am, and I'm, my life is never more meaningful. And part of it has to do with my physical condition, but living, living life in that, how do I even describe it? Living my life from the point of view of, what a, of a human being. And I don't, I don't think I'm describing that well. But be, being at peace with all aspects of life. I wish I knew this when I was 25 and young and healthy because I could have appreciated it more. But when I was 25 and young and healthy, I needed to be the next day even more healthy, bigger, more established in the world. I was never satisfied. And that's what I'm trying to say. I was never satisfied with myself when I was young and healthy. I am satisfied with myself when I'm old and busted up. It's kind of remarkable to me that I am that way. But that's because of Dhamma. You know, it's, because I understand this process. As a consequence of having a human life, there's going to be, you know, the birth, first noble truth is birth. You have a human life. Don't try to figure out anything else about it. You have it. 
and that life is prone to sickness, aging, and death, not getting what we want, getting what we don't want. In short, living this life rooted in ignorance known as the five clinging aggregates. Or we can understand it. And then we don't take it personal. It, just doesn't, it really doesn't matter. Um, the, yeah, that, that's it. That's it. I think that's enough on that, too. Tom, uh, was that a sufficient answer? Yep, yep, yep. A satisfying Thank answer? So. Okay. Good question. Yep. Hello, Sangha Mom. Hmm. Hello. <clears throat> Thank you, John. Um, this, like everybody else said, this, uh, uh, this was a beautiful poem, and it was very meaningful to me because, you know, aging and death is getting closer and closer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I really, I really appreciated uh, your talking about this today. And I had a very good uh, meditation here where I felt uh, I have especially been uh, troubled by, you know, just a recent thing that happened that's really hasn't happened yet. I'm just worried that it might happen, you know, one of those. And when meditating today, I just felt that, I felt, I don't want to say I felt my mind clear because I'm not awakened, but I felt that space come into my mind. And it gave me that peace of mind, even in the the face of something that is very distracting for me right now. And it was a great relief. So thank you yeah. so much. Thank you for sharing that, Becky. That's you're describing Dhamma practice. And it brings you you were liberated from that from the worry by uniting exactly. your mind and your body in this moment. Exactly. It's, it's just you. that way. Yes. And when if if and when this unpleasant experience arises, you will have an established foundation of how to deal with it. And again, it's the, you're describing training your mind in a skillful way for for the inevitable, for you know the, the stressors that's it's gonna happen. I'm closer to being a fully mature human being. Yeah, and uh, isn't it wonderful? Yes. You know, I the uh, somebody was asking me the other day. They were kind of challenging me. I can't remember who it was. Yeah, and their question was. Well, don't you? They said, do you do you have any fear left? I said, not really. I said, that's really true. I can't think of anything I'm afraid of. I said, well, don't you fear death? And I said, no. And they didn't believe me, but I really don't. And I, I'm not hoping that it happens in the next moment or even in the next year. As I said to Ram, I think, or maybe David, all the things that I want to get done, I need at least another 120 years. I don't, I don't think I'm going to get them, but I'm going to do the best. I'm going to do the. I'm going to enjoy trying to do that. What I can every day, but not with the motivation that I got to get more done than I can. What I'm, I'm enjoying my life right up to the end, and when it's done, I'll be able to. And I couldn't have said this 15 or 20 years ago. I'll be able to die without regrets. How many people can say that? I mean, we'll, we'll be able to because we understand. But how many people can say that? You know, it, it, and to me, that. That's that's worth 
The biggest killer of, of a human life is his regret. Yeah. Just, and people talk about that. Don't be on your deathbed and have any regrets. I mean, it's, yeah. it's part of our culture almost, that idea. And I used to buy into that too. Maybe I better keep going. Better, you know, climb the next thing. I can... Now it's, you know, what, what, what can I do in this moment? You know, what's most important? A calm and peaceful mind. Right, Andrew? Right. It's a very significant sutta. And that one word regret being conscious of that as as something to not have ever yeah. between now and whatever, whatever the termination date is yeah. is so as a wonderful achievement to to have yeah. Uh, yeah I think this sutta is something that on a recording uh, I need to listen to on a daily basis yeah, we all could use it and it's it, it, it's a, it's an important vitamin for our our minds. <laughs> That's a great. I love it. Vitamin for our minds. Yeah. <clears throat> I might change it because now it's called Mitakali, a nun's path complete. I think I'll change it. Mm-hmm. Mitakali, vitamin for the mind. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Scott, good morning. Good morning. Well, there really is a lot packed into those few lines mm-hmm. in this poem. Uh, it was very moving to me. Uh, not so much the aging, sickness, and death, which to me at least doesn't, I don't feel that fear, it doesn't resonate with me as much as the part about uh, recognition and um, recognition and material, gathering material wealth. Uh, yeah, that, that speaks to me because that is what I'm thinking, what I have been thinking is that that strategy, that lifelong strategy of building recognition and building that wealth, it seems so fruitless to me now, not because we've learned that it's not wise and not because we've learned a philosophy that says don't do it, but because it, it didn't work. Yeah. It, it, it didn't stop me from feeling insecure. It yep. didn't stop me from fearing failure. Uh, it didn't help me to be harmless and gentle in my dealings with myself and other people. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that really has got to me. I, I definitely was not checked out. Yeah. Again, pure <laughs> Dhamma practice, Scott. Mm-hmm. And, and, and recognizing that, uh, how, how that greed, aversion, and deluded thinking affects us in the moment in our relationships with people. That's where, that's where it shows. That's why the Buddha taught right speech, right action, right livelihood, so that we recognize that, um, that disharmony between us and others that now we recognize didn't have anything to do with them, it had everything to do with me and what I was holding in mind about myself, having to be better, you know, be more, have that uh, that recognition. While you were talking, though, I was thinking, the world insists that we um, engage in a certain amount of eye making just to live in the world. In other words, whatever profession we might choose. We want to have be recognized for having being good at that, whatever it is, whether it's a, a carpenter, a lawyer, you know, a machinist, a nurse, whatever it might be. And so it's hard, I would say impossible to not live in the world and not fall into that because it's designed that way. But then we can take to the Dhamma and understand why we did that, why it was necessary, why I needed to be the biggest, uh, one time I wanted to be the biggest residential roofer on the East Coast. 
And then it was, I wanted to be the biggest residential roofer on the Northeast. <laughs> it got smaller and smaller. So I wanted to be the biggest residential roofer in the house I was living in. <laughs> and I, I got it. You know? I, achieved, I achieved my goal. So the secret of life isn't the Dhamma. It's just having very small goals and then you'll be happy. Hello, Ron. <laughs> I do that in far places. Same, same story. Um, it's, um, I like this sutta. Um, I can't tell from, from the text whether when she went forth, whether she went forth in the Buddhist Dharma or, or in a different Dharma. Because um, it was kind of, it's a, it was a little unusual for a woman to do that, but it was, there was still a tradition in that. And, uh, you know, the, that, that line going forth with conviction uh, could have easily been a, a, a different Dharma. Um, and I think there's a little warning in there as well for, for those that went in, because she may have been in the Buddhist Dharma and still have pursued recognition and material, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. sure. material gain. Just in those subtle, subtle ways, and that is what kept her back from 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 full realization. Yeah, that um, she was still, even in the Buddhist Dharma, there for the wrong reasons. Yeah, until she finally concentrated her mind and saw that what she was doing, even here, was done for the wrong reasons, and yeah. mind cleared. Yep. within the Dharma, she was able even, to. Yeah, even within the Dharma, you can you can be in the Buddhist Dharma for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Uh, and it's sure. those are those are very subtle things in the mind. Yeah, uh, to be to be, <clears throat> to be recognized for for you know what a great holy person you are. Yeah. Well, and she she referenced that in self recognition and material mm -hmm. gain. Yeah. You know? And I again, not to put down any any of the modern Buddhist religions, but. It's one of the things that I found so off-putting was, in some traditions, the hierarchical nature of, uh, in, in, in one particular tradition, I went there almost every Sunday for quite a few years, the, the head abbot of this particular monastery, when they gave a class, it was taught that the Buddha was speaking through this person. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, for all kinds of reasons, that's a ridiculous teaching. For one thing, it separates that person from everybody else there. And you need to be a human being if you're really going to teach human beings how to be a human being. You can't. <laughs> I mean, you can. So the Buddha never, he never ever elevated himself in any way. He just said, I'm a rightly self-awakened one and I can teach you how to become rightly self-awakened. Do just what I did. And, and <clears> there, <throat> uh, a short class that I could make into a... Just a <laughs> oh, yeah. Good morning, Jen. Hi. Dhamma teacher, Jen. Hi. I forgot the Dhamma teacher wrong. <laughs> um, first of all, I want to say that if you don't live for at least another 50 years, I'm going to be pissed. Me too. I'm going to piss. <laughs> no, I'm actually like, you know, look at me. You don't want to see me at 116. Why not? If this is... Yeah. You have to keep the doors closed. Yeah. <laughs> Blow away. By the, by the you know, my, my great-great-grandfather lived to 100. 121 years okay, old. Okay, great. Perfect. There you yeah. go. All right, all right. He was, he, was still, he was still 
working out in the garden. I mean, great, great. I mean, if you yeah, give them the time, to. then. Yeah, no, you don't want to? Yeah. I found well, a face well, down in the flower bed. Yeah. Um, that's that's pretty, pretty remarkable. Wow. 121. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, so the, the thing that came through for me in this was the uh, sickness, aging, and the same thing Tom kind of honed in on was sickness, sickness, aging, and death were my constant companion. Um, and that sort of reminds me of the, the kind of just the irony of and that the paradox of um, you know the idea the 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 mechanism of the mechanism of the mind to ignore or to try to ignore a thing sickness yeah. aging and death yeah. it's like saying it, you know there was like a study of uh, in psychology of they where they told people okay for the next two minutes I don't want you to think about a polar bear. That's all you can think about. And just that simple idea that is the the more you try to not think about it, the more you're gonna think about it. And um you know, the the reason that you wanna not think about it is because you don't want to be having the feeling associated with it and, and the, just the yep. disaster of that, just the mental compost heap. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I don't know that it was her intention when, or the, the intention of the poem, but it was kind of what I thought about was sickness, aging, and death as a constant companion can be stressful and it can also be very peaceful yeah. because depending on how your perspective, depending yep. on your the way you're looking at it, this is a part of my life, and so of course it's with me. Yeah. But I don't, like you said, have to take it personally. Yeah. 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 I, know that you can, I, I have to have this if I'm going to have a human life. Right. But how do I know that? Because it's what's happening. Right. Exactly. You know, it's nothing personal. Now, you just gave me a new teaching. I thought I knew everything there was to know about teaching. <laughs> now on. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I'm going to recommend everyone, don't do Jana. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Don't ever do it. Especially don't do it for 20 minutes. Brilliant. And I said, I got to, I got to qualify my story about Tadu Tradiani. Mm. It was alleged that he lived for 121 years. Oh, Nobody okay. ever could find a bird. They didn't have birth certificates. And he came over on the boat and all that stuff. Mm. He was old. And he was probably well past 100. But 121 was... That was my mother, my grandmother's, his daughter's invention, my yeah. grandmother. Uh, How long did his daughter live? She was, all my grandparents lived well into their 90s. They all, they all smoked and drank. <laughs> they ate sausage sandwiches every day of their lives. Wow. And they lived well into their 90s, but... You know, so if he they, didn't do those things, maybe he did live to be 121. Yeah, yeah well, Tadu's love making, making, I still remember one thing I remember about Tadu's, his homemade wine, even as a kid. Mm -hmm. And he used to love to give us, Italians have peaches soaked in wine. Mm -hmm. And he used to give them, I loved it. And I, I thought it was because I was such a wonderful kid. I was a nasty little turd they were trying to put to sleep with a, with a couple of peaches soaked in wine. Hello, David. Hello, John. So, where there is 
desire, there is fear. Mm. Yep. And you can pluck out the word death or recognition or the word that came to mind for me was relevance. Yeah. And this Dhamma practice teaches not to take it personal. Yeah. And for a good portion of my 40s and 50s, I feared not being relevant and how it was progressing. And uh, yeah. so. Life's passing me by. Pass, and people aren't recognizing. So uh, this was a cute little uh, teaching. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that uh, skillful explanation of it. Yeah, it, it's, uh, this is one of those little poems or suttas that I refer to when I'm saying it's really a simple practice. And it is. It's our minds that become very complicated with continued eye making and not wanting to let go. Um, but it's the, the human mind rooted in ignorance will yield uh, to a gentle and persistent Dhamma practice. It, you know, it's just a, mm-hmm. This gentleman was brilliant in figuring this out. That this is what we could do to pierce this veil of ignorance. It so vexes us all. Uh, great class. We'll finish with, uh, uh, with the Karaniya Metta Sutta, as we always do. What was the other announcement? Oh, the uh, eh, I'll, I'll send an email about the retreat and a few other things. Oh, the uh, in two weeks from today, we're going to have our uh, Delaware River Sangha cleanup organized by Laura and Lauren. So anybody that can join us, please do so. We'll uh, we'll What's have breakfast date, after Anna? class, April April ninth. And where on the Delaware River? Right at the Kingwood Boat Launch. So right down the, right <clears> down here, you know. But wait, we'll have class and go out for breakfast and. Go down there and pick up some cans and stuff. All right, so take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. 
Thank you all for a wonderful class. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, John. See you all. Thanks, John. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. See you all soon. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.